He is risen. He is risen. We gather this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with other Christians around the world and as Christians generations before us have done. We proclaim that he is risen. He is risen indeed. (laughs) Allow me to set the stage for you by taking you through the last few days for Jesus. The week began on Palm Sunday. Just a week ago, the disciples had paraded into Jerusalem. Jesus had ridden on a donkey. People cheered him. They waved palm branches and laid their coats out so the donkey didn't have to ride on the ground. This adulation had been a welcome, uh, a welcome event for these disciples because they knew that the Jewish leadership and the Roman leadership had some questions about this Jesus figure. They were worried and they were out to get him, to stop him, to silence him. And so to have this joyous entry into Jerusalem would say, yes, the people are on our side. Maybe Jesus really will be our king. That week they had done a number of things in and around in Jerusalem, all of them leading up to the celebration of Passover on Thursday night. This is the night we call Maundy Thursday. Jesus gathered in the upper room. There he led the Passover meal. Along the way, he taught the things Uh, He he took the things that they did for the Passover meal and tried to help them understand what he was about to do. But but of course, they didn't get it. Even in our text, it said this morning, the Easter morning, they didn't understand that he had to raise from the dead. The shock of Friday still there. But he tried to tell them, he said, this is my body. It's going to be broken. This is my blood. It's going to be shed. He washed their feet, showing that he was a servant Messiah and that they were to serve one another. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, decides that he's going to betray Jesus. He follows out on that plan, goes to where Jesus is praying late in the evening, and betrays Jesus with a kiss. He's arrested. The disciples scatter in fear. The only disciple brave enough to follow Jesus is the one that gets the least amount of credit. It's Peter. He's the only one that follows. But while he's there, he denies Jesus three times. Everyone else runs and hides. Jesus is tried before Jewish officials and then in Roman courts. The testimonies do not agree. There's lots of falsehoods, lots of disagreements between the testimonies. But Jesus does not defend himself. This leads us to Good Friday. In the early morning, Jesus is beaten. He is whipped. A crown of thorns is placed on his head. By 9 a.m., Jesus is nailed to a cross. He suffers there until 3 p.m. When he, when he cries out, it is finished. And he cries out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And there he dies. In the Jewish tradition, they cannot work on the Sabbath. And Sabbath, we think of our days starting in the morning. But in Jewish thought, uh, it started at sunset. So as of Friday, when the sun goes down, the Jews cannot do any more work. So they had to make sure that Jesus had died before that so they could at least do something with his body. The the custom was for the Romans, they were very good at crucifixion. And if they wanted to kill you faster, they could break your legs. That way you couldn't have the strength to lift up and take any more breaths. But Jesus is already dead at about three o'clock and they don't have to do that to him. So they have to take him down and very quickly uh, uh, get him ready for burial. 
To be sure that he's dead, they put a spear through his ribs. And the text says that water and blood come out. Now, uh, doctors, modern day doctors reading this, think that it, it perhaps is evidence of an aneurysm on the heart. Uh, that if, a, if a, the heart, something had burst on the heart, fluid would have rushed around that area. And it would make sense that water and then blood would come out. The church, however, has always looked at this and said that Jesus died of a broken heart. That the water and blood from the side of Christ actually represent the sacraments of baptism and our Lord's Supper. That the church is being born out of the side of Jesus just the way Eve was made out of the side of Adam. Um, And so Jesus died. He's quickly prepared for burial and laid in a tomb. They leave him there so that they can come back after the Sabbath is over, early on Sunday morning when they're allowed to work again because it's the beginning of the week. This leads us to Holy Saturday. Imagine how devastated the disciples and the followers of Jesus must have been on Holy Saturday. A week before they had marched into Jerusalem with everybody proclaiming Jesus as king, saying, Hosanna, save us. Now their savior that they had spent the last three years following was dead. And not just dead, crucified, killed, publicly, brutally murdered. What could be next? They wonder. They're locked in an upper room. Why? Because they think they're next. They think they're next. If if we're going to have a leader, we don't want these people to then have a martyr. They wonder if the Romans and the Jewish leadership will be after them as well. And so early in the morning, women from Jesus' party, from their group, go to take care of the body. But they find a great surprise. April Fool's, right? He gets up. He's not there. When Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, according to the Gospel of John, she finds just an empty tomb. The stone rolled away, and they have no idea what's going on because they didn't predict this. Many of them, including Mary Magdalene, had gone to the cross. Okay? They hadn't just heard that Jesus had died. They'd watched him die. When you watch somebody die like that, you don't expect them to be walking around on Sunday. They have no idea. And they are surprised to no end. They come to the tomb, John and Peter. They see the burial cloths lying there, but Jesus is not dead. Later they see him, talk to him, touch his wounds, eat with him. But he's not there. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. But how can this be? Some dismiss it as mere legend. After all, the dead cannot return to life. But the church has always treated this as a fact. And not just a fact. A critical fact for our faith. Paul goes so far in 1 Corinthians 15 as to say these things. But if there is no resurrection for the, from the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He continues in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. For Paul, we're fools if we follow Christ, but we don't believe what happened on this day. It is not enough for Paul that Jesus dies for our sin. He has to defeat sin. He has to defeat death. Now, 
There are many who question this resurrection fact. Did it really happen? And for a lot of people, they believe that, no, no one can come back from the dead. Although I have found that that belief is not as strong today, especially when it seems like every month there's another book about somebody who died and came back 90 minutes later or something. You know what I mean? Um, But still, there's this belief. How can someone die and come back? This story has not got to not be true. And so people have made three major arguments for that. And I'm not doing them justice. There are lots of different arguments people make, but big, three big categories. One is to say that the story is totally made up, that this is all just fiction that people wanted to write. Um, the problem is that there's just too much historical evidence about the crucifixion, about people talking about this, about even in the Bible when they're talking about Jesus being raised. Uh, the, the, the gospel writers would say, go talk to the people that saw it, because some of them were still alive at that time. No, it's hard to say that the story was totally made up. Some have said that maybe Jesus wasn't really dead. This is sometimes called the swoon theory. Jesus either on purpose took a drug so that he appeared dead, but it wasn't really dead, or he just sort of passed out under the pain and then came back. The, the problem with that is... Um, First of all, we can't prove any of that. Second of all, the the Romans are experts on crucifixion, okay? They know when somebody's dead or not. They have the ability that the Romans could make it last a very long time. They could make it last very quickly, okay? They had studied how to do this. They were experts in it. They knew when someone was dead. Furthermore, the idea that Jesus could wake up sometime and then take off all these burial clothes, remove a stone, and be free after all that he's went through. You understand, there were a lot of people that didn't even make it to the cross because they died from the whipping and all the stuff that happened before the cross. A lot of of people never made it to the cross. They died ahead of time. No, this seems unlikely. The The third idea is that maybe someone stole this body. This is the idea that, okay, we have an empty tomb, but it's empty because somebody took the body. Well, again, we could never prove that. And the other question is, who took the body? Who, who would take the body? If, the, if the, uh, the Romans or the Jewish leadership had taken the body, they could have easily shown everybody the body and say, look, this guy isn't dead. Here's his body, right? They would have no reason to keep it. Somebody stranger may have stolen it. But the idea that the disciples stole the body is the argument that I hear the most, and it's probably the most foolish. Because most of the disciples... Most of the disciples died, died, a lot of them gruesome deaths, some of them on crosses, believing that this story was true. And if they knew it was a hoax, why would they take that to such a gruesome death? See, this leads us to the best evidence for the resurrection fact. The biggest evidence for this being a real story is the change in these disciples. Okay, think about it. These are uneducated fishermen, they're called. They're just guys, okay? They're guys that weren't good enough to study under other rabbis to become uh, students of the law, okay? They're not good enough. That's who they are. And where are they on Saturday and Sunday of this week? Hiding in an upper room, okay? They're hiding. They're terrified. And yet because of the events of this day, not the cross, Because of the resurrection, you see a great change in these disciples. A boldness that go from hiding in an upper room with the doors locked 
to people who will speak to those of power, both in the Roman courts and in the Jewish courts, at the expense of their own health and lives. The resurrection fact comes out of a resurrection faith. And they started a movement. They started a movement that changed the world. You can't tell the story of the world without telling the story of Jesus and the followers of Jesus. They were some of the first people that cared for the least, the lost, the broken. Nobody else cared for them. It was Christians that started the first hospitals for the sick. Christians who took care of widows, started orphanages and developed adoption uh, procedures. They respected women. In fact, if you were going to make this story up, you would never have women be the first people that saw Jesus. Why? Because women couldn't testify in court in those days. You would never make it up that way. And yet in this Jesus movement, women are important. For Christians, a resurrected Jesus meant the world. It meant life. It meant that Jesus is still leading them, guiding them, teaching them, and inspiring them. It means that sin and death don't beat Jesus, but that actually Jesus beats sin and death. It meant that, meant that the sins were paid for and that they would rise someday with Jesus to new life. So they moved Sabbath to the Sunday and created a holiday to celebrate the resurrection faith. And they would say to each other what? He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. And there's the key word, isn't it? Is. Not was. It's not he was risen. This isn't a past tense story, you understand. He is risen. In fact, let's try it again. This time I want you to put the emphasis on the is. It's kind of hard to do, but you can do it. I believe it. Okay? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. That's right. And he's still risen. And he's still alive. And we will be with him someday. And his spirit is now with us. Guiding us. Leading us. Do you have this kind of radical resurrection faith? These early Christians gave up everything, including their lives, because they believed that this day was true. It's my fear that we have too many Christians that believe in the resurrection fact, but don't actually have a resurrection faith. They believe this day happened, but they haven't quite figured out how to make it so important to them that it changes their life and they orient their lives around it. And I am convinced that just like back then, the greatest evidence that the resurrection is true is the changed lives of the resurrection people. That's me and that's you. And we live in a world that desperately needs the message of this day. Desperately needs this message of life. Desperately needs this message of hope. And how will they find that hope if we as Christians don't live it out? Most people will never read the Bible for themselves. Their first Bible will be the life of a Christian that they live near. Most people will never visit a church, but they will peek in on how you handle difficult situations. Now, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean there can't be doubt. One of the things I love about the story, by the way, is that there is doubt. Go back and read the story of Thomas, 
who can't believe it. I can't believe it. Till I touch him, I can't believe it. You go back and read the story of the ascension. Here's Jesus. He's been resurrected. He's been around them, eating them, hanging out with them. He goes up to the heavens, and the book of Acts tells us, but some doubted. I take great comfort in the fact that there's room for doubt in this faith. Okay? You can have your doubts. The Bible allows us to have doubts. What there is not room for when you follow a resurrected Jesus is a ho-hum, boring indifference. That's not allowed. We have too many Christians today that believe the resurrection fact, but don't actually have this resurrection faith, and the world needs it so badly. So today, on this great Easter morning, peer into the tomb. See the grave cloths lying there. Experience the wonder. Get excited. For Christ is risen. Let us pray. Thank you for dying on the cross, Lord. Thank you for rising to new life. Thank you for the new life you give us. Let us live as a resurrection people. Answer our doubts and fear and make us new. Give us a resurrection faith. In the name of our Savior and risen Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.